You're listening to Wisdom of the Ages, the show that taps into the many expressions of universal, ancestral, and personal wisdom to ignite evolutionary consciousness. Welcome and blessings. This is Anne Kate Sullivan, host of Wisdom of the Ages. I'm also the author of the Legends of the Grail series for those who seek inner wholeness, and also the Sparkle series for children or your inner child that part of you that refuses to give up your inner light. I'm also the host of a new podcast here on the Super Power Up Network called Messages of Infinite Light. I hope you'll go check it out. It's where we explore solutions for an evolving humanity. So it's interesting that as years go on, some people, especially those people who have made an impact on us in some way, have a they just return into our lives. It's like a wave coming back to greet you again. Maybe it happens over lifetimes. So when I was in my early 20s, I witnessed a healer who was working on a young woman at my father's farm. I'll never forget her anguish. I mean, it was a little bit disturbing, but I was also fascinated. She was upset. She was angry. And then a healing took place. An insight took place something that she needed to see came into her mind. And then she was restored into some sort of beautiful peace. I witnessed a lovely golden light around her. So I think most people were frightened of this man. He seemed to know a little too much to have superhuman powers, but I was really curious about him. And in some way, I I believe that it was that moment that really inspired me to explore healing, to check out my own past life memories, and even to visit India and explore true enlightenment techniques. Who knows? Maybe even this podcast is happening because of this moment. But I will say that spiritual awakening is not for the faint of heart. This, This is something you want to think about. Of course, if it's Either your enlightenment drive is on or it's not on. But in this moment, something happened. But I will say, if you do want to wake up, and I think it's time for a lot of people right now to have this great awakening, it does take a great deal of courage and humility, and you just never know quite how it's going to unfurl. But what other dance is there, right? So this man, this lovely man has circled back around and he's going to be on the podcast with me today. His name is Alan Mesher. And what can I say? Some people have gifts. Sometimes they're called siddhas, their powers. So I read his book, a, a very powerful book. It's called The Silent Steps of Grace. I highly recommend it. I understand there's a sequel coming soon. And uh, I had a, tra- a very powerful healing transmission reading the book. So we'll get into this book, uh, how it came about. It's a book of fiction, but there's, there's a lot behind it. So anyway, we're going to take a quick ad break. If you want to find out more about Alan Mesher, you can go on to alanmesher.com. So when we come back from the short break, we're going to talk more about the whispers of grace and the true power of the loving light. And we'll also dive into this wonderful book, The Silent Steps of Grace. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. If you're ready to transform yourself and transform the world through podcasting, we invite you to join us. We co-create a non-competitive, collaborative environment designed to support you as you step into your greatness. 
Go now to superpowerexperts.com and click on the programs tab to get started today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Wisdom of the Ages. And you can find out more, many, many episodes on superpowerexperts.com slash wisdom of the ages. You can delve into this whole spiritual realm. So today we're speaking with brilliant guest, Alan Mesher. Hello, hello. Hello, Anne. It's delightful to be back with you again. It's been a long, long, long time. It has been quite, quite a long time. You just never know how you might uh, touch people's lives, but... Yeah, we've probably been at this for a while. What would you say? Absolutely. Lifetimes. Many, 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 many. You know, the last time I saw you was at my home in Santa Monica, California, back around 1994. I remember that. Yeah. I do remember that. That has been a while. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, okay. Here we are. Let's speak about whispers of grace. I know when the universe puts this together, amazing things happen. And I did read this incredible book, The Silent Steps of Grace. Um, okay, so it's it's a work of fiction. There's a lot of truth in it. Uh, many, many quotes. Um, many teachers I feel like I recognize do you want to just give us a little summary so everybody can follow? It's uh, yeah, because it takes place. There's a, a whole Tibetan component that's really fascinating. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, the, the protagonist of the story is a, is a Tibetan monk named Tenzin, Tenzin Ozan, and he is born in the the mid 1920s. And when he gets to be 15 years old, he goes to the monastery where he always wanted to be because the calling within him was so strong for more consciousness, more light, and the connection to all that is. Uh, so he gets to the monastery and he meets a, an older monk named Dozen who becomes his mentor. And unbeknownst to the young Tenzin, Dozen, of course, is a very gifted seer and he knows who this young man is. He's the incarnation of his, of his brother who died young. So Dozen and Tenzin share this very deep link that Tenzin knows nothing about and won't for many, many years. Uh, he lives in the monastery. He loves what he's doing. He's learning about how to do healing from Dozen. And then all of a sudden the Chinese show up. Uh, they're invading Tibet. They're sweeping from east, from the east across Tibet, and they come to, uh, they're sighted not far away from the monastery. Uh, Tenzin is ordered by Dozen to leave, to save himself, to go over the Himalayas into India and to go find the American uh, embassy there and go to America, which is what he ends up doing. I'm sort of just giving you the bare bones of the story here. And uh, he ends up in America with uh, the wife of a former ambassador to India himself. And this woman takes him under her wing and helps him get established in America. And then a letter arrives uh, letting Tenzin know what's happened to all the people he left behind, his own family, his mother, father, sisters, nieces, nephews, and all the monks in the monastery. And All I will say about that is the letter is not good news. And 
uh, young Tenzin is sent into deep shock, deep grief, and deep loss, and takes him a long, long time to find his way out of it. But he eventually does, and he begins his work. He starts, uh, he's asked to give a talk at UCLA to a couple of classes of young students, and this energy comes out of him, this brilliant, brilliant gold light, this Christ light that moves into the people there and begins to change them. So the story moves forward with uh, Tenzin doing his work and eventually establishing a Tibetan Buddhism center in Santa Monica. And then it goes to the Kennedy assassination in 1963, November 1963. And that opens up a whole other door into the stark world of politics and control and conspiracies. And uh, we have to swim through these dark, dark conspiracies and learn about them and how they work and how they have affected the country and the world because they have to be dealt with. So uh, the second part of the story is really about uh, uh, Tenzin dealing with this. And then all of a sudden into the story drops this young man named David who has a son named Michael. And uh, it's no accident that uh, David has arrived at Tenzin's home. Uh, boy, this gets really complicated because there's all these connections. All I will say about this, I don't want to give the story away, is that there are all of these connections between all of these people from other lifetimes that connects them in very deep and powerful ways that are not only going to change their lives, but could also influence the greater life of the country and the world that we live in today. These are the light bearers, and this is their story. And that's what this is about. So when I was reading the book, what, what would happen at night, this is kind of interesting, I would... I would have dreams about different people that I know. It's somehow this holographic web started to open up. The the book um, was working its magic here, and uh, different insights were coming through. So, so the book is fiction. How much? How much of it is autobiographical? You know, uh, I honestly can't answer that question right now because I wrote. The book in 2012, and now I've moved on to uh, to writing its sequel, uh, the second book. It's a trilogy, and I'm, I've just completed book two of the trilogy, and that is titled The Soul Collector. Mm. And that's a very interesting story, let me tell you. But uh, some of this book is autobiographical. I mean, the story about the young man, David, and the young boy, his son, uh, Michael, that really... Uh, comes from my own experience, my own situation. But, you know, with, with the fiction part of it and the autobiographical part of it, you start out with a base uh, of ideas and characters. And some of these characters are completely fictional and others have a basis in reality. They may have uh, a certain, uh, a few personality traits connected to them, and then you build a fictional character on top of the rest of it which is what has really happened here. So the autobiographical material gets very fictionalized and turned in different directions uh, that serve 
the story. And the whole idea of the book, of course, is to serve the story and make it relevant and powerful in people's lives. And I've had many people that have read this book and written me and, and told me that uh, one fellow who's a, a real tough guy uh, took the book in the form of 400 printed out pages before it had even been edited and turned into the real finished product. He took it with him around the world because he was going to see his clients all over the place and he'd read it on the plane. And he said, every time I would pick up this book and start reading, I always ended up crying. Mm. You know, I cried all the way through the book. He said it was the best book I've ever read. I've had other, yeah, <laughs> I've had other people that have read the book and say that it, when they finished it, they had a huge catharsis. And I've had many, many people tell me they, they read it slowly because they didn't, want it to end so that, that was a range of uh of responses that i had from people that have read this book and you know it is partly autobiograph- autobiographical i mean to a degree but again everything gets turned into something else it's used for a different purpose it makes sense it makes sense i don't know if i've read another book from the point of view of a, of a boy who's becoming a master healer and what Tenzin has to go through the pain and suffering that he has to go through in order to step into who he truly is. And I had heard about the suffering, the horrible suffering that Tibetans had been through, but the book really brings it home. I, um, you know, and and it reminds me also of these, other atrocities that have happened on the planet that that the light workers, it seems like the light bearers have to have to endure for some reason. But in the book, uh, Tenzin's very clear that no matter what is happening in the world, that it's very important to hold the loving light and that that is what we need to continue to do now. And so I think the, the, the message is very powerful and you know, I, it was also beautiful, even though he has to leave Tibet, he has to leave India, he, he still has a lineage that holds him, and which is interesting, I think, for someone in, in the West, because we don't, I mean, I don't necessarily feel there's a lineage that holds us in the same way here. Um, what do you, have you... Were you a Tibetan or have you like, what is your connection to Tibet? Cause it seems really deep. How do you know? How do you, uh, what's the pathway here? Yeah. Well, uh, many lifetimes in Tibet, of course, you know, I've been a monk many times, obviously been a Tibetan teacher uh, more than once, obviously. And, uh, you know, writing about this, people would say to me, did you go to Tibet to research this book? Because it sounds like you spent a lot of time there. I said, well, not in this lifetime. I didn't research anything. I wrote this out of my head. And they said, you did? I said, yeah, but they said it seems so real. I said, well, that's because at one point in time, it certainly was real. You know, you don't write about these things unless you've lived them. And the point you made earlier about the suffering that people go through and the suffering that Tenzin had to go through to become who he is, it's just part of the journey. It's like... uh, uh, another Indian teacher, Sri Aurobindo, always used to say the spiritual journey will take everything you have and everything you are, but nothing more. 
but that's enough. You, pay, <laughs> you know, you, you pay a great price for illumination. It's, it's not an easy thing. You know, people go and they do a little bit of ayahuasca. It's become very popular, you know, because they want to feel good or they want to have an illuminating experience or whatever. And, and, and they may, but that doesn't mean that they have uh, transformed themselves to any degree. They just had a vision. A vision is a beginning. It's not an end. I have wondered about that, that uh, the flash, it seems so popular these days, you know, to go have these experiences, to have a, I mean, maybe, maybe people, some people need that, that moment where they're not ego identified, where they realize, oh, we are living in a multidimensional universe. It seems like once you've had that experience, you need to continue exploring the multidimensional universes. And that, and that is the spiritual journey that taking substances isn't really the way forward. No, not, yeah. not at all. Not at all. Although, you know, there's a tradition, of course, with the South American shamans uh, that use these plant medicines because it enables them to see more. Right. You know, but but they're only using it to see it. It it becomes an adjunct, a tool for them to do their work. And that's different from seeking out some sort of spiritual high, because that's what most of these people that want to take ayahuasca now are doing. They're looking for a high. They're Mm -hmm. looking to escape reality. Um, They're looking to add a little something to a normal, you know, mundane life. And. That's yeah. a, it's okay. You can start that way, but that's not where you should end up. In the book, you talk about, I think it's Tenzin. I can't remember exactly the quote here, but Tenzin is explaining to someone who's been through a difficulty that this is not about shutting down, that, that it, it's about vulnerability. It's about feeling the pain and suffering that's happened so that you can arrive someplace that's real. And that becomes your new main station. Do you want to speak about that? Like the true healing for a minute. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, in in order to get anywhere, you have to face your dark side. And whatever pain gets generated in your life becomes really a doorway to transcend uh, not only that darkness, but whatever that uh, kicks up in you, whatever that stimulates in you uh, that needs to be dealt with. You know, I can just speak from my own life. I mean, I've, I've been through a lot of things, a lot of very difficult, painful, horrible things. And the only thing they did for me was they made me stronger because I went through them. I endured them. Uh, I allowed whatever emotion was in me that needed to come out to come out. I wasn't afraid to cry. I wasn't a, 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 a afraid to yell and scream and and sort of rage out in the wilderness, which is what I would do, go hiking in the mountains. You know, I mean, I've lost my entire family. My, my parents are gone. My brother's gone. I have my son, thank God. You know, I've, uh, this, it's been an awful lot of loss. And I think the two things that define most lives are how do you handle change and how do you handle loss? And that is really what's going to define you as a human being, because if you can handle those, you're going to come out to be much more grounded, much more stable, and much more aware. And in order to be really conscious, you have to be grounded. You have to be stable emotionally and balanced. Otherwise, any insight you have is going to knock you off center. It's going to knock you off balance. And it's going to not be helpful to you at all. And uh, so many people, that's a real problem. You know, 
for people to be grounded and balanced. I mean, that that's a difficult one. Most people aren't. And that's why they turn to uh, alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, stimulation, just, just to avoid themselves. People spend lifetimes avoiding themselves. And you have to be willing to confront yourself. You have to be willing to face your darkness. You have to be willing to feel your darkness. And you have to be willing to express your darkness so that you can heal it. And if you can't do those things, you can never heal it. So the spiritual journey is not for the weak. It's not for the crazy, it's for the strong. It takes everything you have to grow and process pain and turn that into consciousness and clarity and lucidity. It takes an awful lot of work and it takes a lot of devotion and commitment. It's not for the faint of heart. That's why real spiritual people there there, there are many more than there used to be, but we're a small percentage of the population. Yep. Uh, hopefully, hopefully many, many more awakening. And, you know, it, it does, I know just a little bit about your personal life. And when I, when I read the book, Tenzin reminds me a lot of you and some of the really, really difficult things that you've had to go through. And I, I admire your courage and um, your ability to stay with it. So thank you for showing us the way. Well, thanks, you know, and it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I had a friend in Colorado uh, read the book and she said to me <laughs> almost in an accusing way, she pointed her finger at me and she said, you're a Tenzin. <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> said, wait a minute. I created Tenzin, but I'm not Tenzin. I'm the creator of Tenzin. It's a little bit. <laughs> well, who creates who, right? Yeah. There were some of the healings that he that he did that just seemed very familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I would cop to that because, uh, you know, I took my own experience as a healer. I've been a healer for 40 years. I've been doing this work for 40 years. And I took some of those experiences, of course, and put them in the book. You know, I could share things with you that would blow your audience's mind about things that have happened on the healing table or at workshops, you know, just amazing things have happened. Um, Go ahead, Alan, blow our minds, bring well, out a good one. Let's see. Uh, well, the first, <laughs> the first one that comes to mind, I was in Rochester, New York to do a workshop. And on Friday night before the workshop, which is an all day thing on Saturday, I always give a lecture. And at the end of the lecture, I always raise my hands and let the energy flow out of the palms of my hands into the audience. And I work on different parts of their body as I'm doing this. And it could be 10 people, 50 people, 500, 1,000. It doesn't matter because the energy that is needed to heal whoever is there is going to come through. So in this particular evening, I did all that and uh, went home and got some sleep. And the next morning came back and uh, all of a sudden, around nine o'clock in the morning, when the doors open, this woman runs in and she starts screaming at me. What did you do to me? What did you do to me? I said, what do you mean? What did I do to you? She said, I couldn't sleep a wink last night. Every 15 minutes I was going hot. I was burning up. And then I'd go 15 minutes and I'd be ice cold. And it went that way all night long. And I said, wow. That's fantastic. You're going to have a great day. You, you get right on a table. We're going to get working on you right away. So got her on the table and started working on her. Now, this is a white lady, right? Okay. 
probably in her late 30s, early 40s. And she had been attending this black Baptist church, a very small one that she felt very comfortable with. And uh, on the table, she goes back to a time, another lifetime, where she had been in Africa, and she's a member of a tribe, and she's being ritually abused or sacrificed in some ritual with this tribe. It's a very painful, horrible thing. And, uh, you know, she's sobbing and screaming and carrying on and twisting all which way in the table and kicking, and we had to hold her down. And, and sweating, and, uh, and then all of a sudden it ended, and she got really, really peaceful. And her clothing is soaking wet like she had been out in a thunderstorm. And she's at the end, I said, how do you feel? She said, oh, I feel so peaceful. I feel so relieved. I said, okay, great. You know, rest for a little bit. Then your job is to get on a table or to get with a table and put your hands on other people where I show you to put them so the healing energy will come through you because in these workshops, everybody gets worked on and everybody works on others. And there's so much energy in the room in these workshops. There's so much love, there's so much light and there's so much compassion. I mean, it's remarkable what happens. And so we had this great workshop and uh, it ended. And um, I got a call from her a couple of days later because I'm staying in Rochester for the week to work on individual people. She calls me up and says, can we get together for dinner? I'll, I'll buy you dinner. I said, yeah, sure. So we went out to dinner and she said, I got to tell you, I went to see my iridologist, who's a naturopathic physician, uh, yesterday. And she looked at my eyes because a naturopath will read the irises. Uh, it's really one of the greatest diagnostic tools there is. It shows everything that's going on in the body if you know how to read it correctly. And she said the naturopath had been treating her for a series of tumors all along the right side of her body. And she said, honey, I've never seen as much change in anyone's eyes from one session to the next as I see in yours, because your eyes are telling me that those tumors are all dissolved. They're gone. So, so that's, you know, one example of what can happen when someone is ready to heal. Another lady came to me in Austin, Texas. She was actually at that time the wife of the CEO and founder of Whole Foods Markets. And they were both clients of mine, the, the CEO and his wife. And she called me up and said, Alan, I've just been diagnosed with an onset of cervical cancer. I want to make an appointment to see you. I know you'll heal me. And I said, you know, I'll, I'll call her Joanne, even though that's not her name. I said, Joanne, I can't guarantee that. I'll give you everything I have, 150% of myself, but I can't guarantee you that I'm going to heal you. I'm going to give it my best shot because you never know. She said, no, no, that's okay. I know you're going to heal me. So she made her appointment. She came in, came into my office, got her on the table, put my hands under her body, one hand on the base of her spine, the other on the, the base of her neck, you know, get that whole spinal column, the nervous system all balanced out. And as she's laying there and this energy is flowing out of me and I'm looking at it, it's like red fire coming out of me. That energy burns and cleans and purifies. All of a sudden, she starts shaking her head, moving it back and forth. Her face turns gray and her teeth start chattering. And she starts screaming, helmet. She starts screaming in German. This, this is a farm girl from Wisconsin. She doesn't know German. Uh, 
but she's screaming in German and it's Helmut this and it's Helmut that. And she's getting very uh, violent on the table. She's kicking and punching and like she's fighting someone. And this goes on like this, yelling and screaming in German for about 40, 45 minutes. And then it all calms down and she becomes very, very quiet and very peaceful. And I look at the energy going into her and it's this beautiful, beautiful golden light. It's a Christ light. And she now has risen up out of her body. She's floating above her body, having an out of the body experience. And about 10 minutes later, the session is complete. I've done what I can do. I pull my hands out and she falls back into her body. <laughs> he opens her eyes and says, why did you do that? That was, a, I've never felt that way in my life. I've never felt that good in my life. I can't believe how I was feeling. Why did you stop? <laughs> so I said, Joanne, it's time. We got, we got done what we needed to get done. Now tell me what was going on with all the screaming in German. She said, I was in my last life. It was Germany, World War II. The war is now over. My husband come, comes home. His name is Helmut. He's a German general. He's telling her about how he's hated having to kill all the Jews that he was ordered to kill and all this other stuff he had to do. And she said, you know, I want to feel close to my husband because what she had done was taken as many Jews as she could, hidden them and gotten them out of the country. So she told him what she had done in the war and he went berserk. He attacked her. He raped her. He ripped out her eyes. And he left her to die. And that's how she died. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to tell you that one of the things that she's screaming initially as we start working is, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. So now we have an explanation. And we also know the cause of her cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. It comes from that, that rape experience in the other lifetime. And the principle is things that are not healed in other lifetimes come back with us to be healed because they ha they happened in this dimension they have to be healed in this dimension so she walked out of there floating in air convinced that the cancer was all gone and i said joanne it probably is but i want you to be safe and i want you to go to the doctor and get checked out and she wouldn't do it so i had to call her like several times before she did it and she finally did Lo and behold, the cancer is totally gone. She's free, you know. Um, uh, and there's a, there's a lady that comes to me in Austin, Texas. Another one came from a little village somewhere in the western part of the state. By this time, word had spread and I had become well known in Texas. And uh, this lady came in. I only saw her once. She got on the table and... Uh, she never really told me why she had come. So I just started working on her and going in there, you know, I was getting, there was something in there that shouldn't have been in there. And it was getting very close to this entity. The energy was, the entity was getting very, very uncomfortable. And all of a sudden the entity starts speaking through her and her voice changes, becomes very masculine. And it says, stop or I'm going to kill you. Ooh. And I said, really? You can try. I'm looking at my energy field. I said, I, 
had so much gold light around me. This is this idiot is not going to be able to do anything. I said, really, you can try, but I'll tell you what, here's the deal. You can either allow the light to transform you and go into the light and go to a higher place, or the light is going to destroy you and dissolve you, and you're going to be history. So you take your choice. And the voice goes, I'm going to kill you. And uh, she, the voice, uh, the entity uses her hand to try to reach up and grab me by the throat and strangle me. <laughs> Didn't get too far. Got a, little into my, got a little into my energy field, you know, and the energy was too strong. It burnt it. So eventually, you know, the energy just, the entity dissolved. And you could see this spiral of soot going up into the ceiling. And the lady opens her eyes and she says, what happened? What happened? I feel so different. <laughs> it was so hollow. What happened? And I said, well, you had an entity inside you and it just got dissolved. She said, but that was my only friend. Oh, <laughs> maybe she'll have room for some new ones now. <laughs> I said, That's what it told you. Mm-hmm. That was a lie to keep you away from other people. And like you said, now you go out and make new friends. Yeah. And she left. And that was really the last time that I saw her, you know, uh, the stories are so so varied and so different. Um, let's see if I can think of it, you know, because there are thousands of them. There are thousands of these. Stories. That's what I loved about your book, because every time Tenzin does a healing, I'm like, I this sounds familiar. You know? <laughs> so I know they're fictionalized, but they're, you know, some of the ideas are the same. And I, I think some of the one of the things that's great about the book is that you start to realize that that. It, things that we carry with us from previous lives or the, the anger and frustration, resentments and bitterness that we carry now can create illnesses in this moment. And, and that the way that we heal and the way that we find wholeness is, is through, is through forgiveness and love. And it's not easy. I think that's the other thing that really comes out in the book is we say, Oh yes, I've forgiven them, but to truly forgive someone when something really horrific has happened is it takes it takes some courage and it takes some time generally. Yes, you're very right, and, and it's not just because you decide that I forgive you. You know, just saying that words does nothing because it's really an emotional condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, that all that hurt and rage and anger needs to be cleared out. You can't forgive until you're free of anger and rage. And people make the mistake of saying, oh, I forgive you, but holding on to the anger and rage, which means they have forgiven nothing and learned nothing. So, yeah, these things have to be dealt with. They have to be dealt with. And they're difficult. They're very difficult. Forgiveness is a very hard thing. Very difficult. So, Ellen, why don't you think that there's why isn't there a healing center in every hospital? Uh, Because the conventional world doesn't understand this, doesn't know about it. And would deny it because, you know, this kind of work is built on an entirely different premise. We're not looking at the body as a machine. We're not looking and saying, oh, you're depressed, take a pill. You have anxiety, take a pill. Oh, you're dying of cancer, you have cancer, let's radiate you and give you chemo. You know, uh, it's always about giving some sort of medical intervention which in some cases may be necessary, but so often what that person really needs is love, compassion, and the healing light to change their life. And that's not part of the medical model. Doctors have traditionally uh, been taught and programmed to be cold and distant 
to not to be compassionate and warm, which is crazy because it's it, compassion that heals. It is crazy. crazy. It is crazy. I'm hoping my, my vision is as we start to awaken as to humanity uh, that this chemical model that we've been using, which has its benefits, as you said, you know, sometimes we really need some of these things that we start to awaken to a point that we can see when, when, you know, when an illness is a past slight event, when, when it has to do with consciousness, when it has to do with weight, when it's part of somebody's story and, you know, when it might be, maybe it, it has to do with some sort of environmental toxin or something else. I mean, do you believe that maybe we'll we'll walk into a world in some century where there'll be more of a holographic model? Oh yeah, that's coming. That's coming. It's not coming today or tomorrow, but it's definitely coming. I think you'll say that you'll see that actually sooner than later. You know, I, I could see that happening uh, in the next twenty, in the next ten to thirty years, easily. So do you feel there is an awakening going on in the planet? You know, I sit here in Florida and I'm sort of isolated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I live here and, and everyone around me is like, uh, you know, uh, they're snowbirds, they're older. They, they spend their days, <clears throat> uh, you know, going to uh, the restaurant or the bar or the beach and they have no interest in anything like this. So, is there an awakening going on? You know, I, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. Uh, I'm a little out of touch with that because I sit here in the in the peninsula of Florida, sort of uh, away from everything. <laughs> but, you know, you can feel it. There's, there's definitely stuff happening. Definitely stuff happening. So you know, why, uh, why do you feel, I'm sorry, just personal question, because you, you were working, doing a lot of work in California, and I know healers can burn out, so I'm, I'm not sure what happened there, but why do you think, why do you think you have been sent to Florida? Probably for, for rest and relaxation. <laughs> that was my, that was my thought. Like put him somewhere for a little while. Cause we're really going to need him yeah. <laughs> in a few years. Yeah, <laughs> I, I sort of think that's it. I mean, I, I've been here 10 years. I've had enough rest and relaxation mm -hmm. and uh, I'm ready to move forward and move on, you know, and get back to the world. Mm -hmm. Well, but, maybe you had to write this new book too. Cause it was, I think it 10 years in between the books, right? You know, I thought it, it, you're exactly right. It is 10 years. And I thought I was going to have uh, the, the second book done in 2014. <laughs> it didn't <laughs> happen. I'm a slow writer. Well, and, and, you know, also with the amount of material that's in these books, there's also a timing for these. Yeah, that's true. And this was probably this, uh, the Silent Steps of Grace was written in 2012. That was... I mean, we're just talking about you know, the end of the, the, the world and the Mayan calendar that was going on at, at that time. So we were just in that sort of pre-awakening phase. So um, what about the new book? Can you say anything about what we have to look forward to? Well, the new book is really about, <clears throat> excuse me, it's really about a psychic war uh, for control of Earth. And it's about freedom versus totalitarianism. It's about a small group of people holding on to the light, knowing that it's more powerful than any other force in the universe, uh, having to face armies 
literal armies of extraterrestrial aliens, some of which are not in the body. They're, they're, they're like astral entities. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of attacks, satanic attacks in this book that have to be fought off. There's, a, there's this war, and it's all about trying to get control of this boy, Michael, who's David's son, who carries the light and whose mission it is to free the world eventually someday. You know, uh, the, the, the theory is that someday this boy could end up being president of the United States and having a big role in changing the world and freeing it of all these totalitarian uh, chains that want to be placed around it, you know? And if you look around, my God, the, the whole right-wing phenomena, uh, the authoritarian, totalitarian thing that's sweeping the planet, you have the Illuminati now being more exposed than ever. And this book uh, takes takes into account all of that. It's it's gripping. It's action, sort of nonstop, from uh, the beginning of the book to the end of the book. And you have a lot of Tenzin's wisdom uh, manifest throughout it. And we'll find out what happens. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah. I have I have a question about about the other book, the the Silent Steps of Grace. There's a a story about Charlie and Charlie has to go to Vietnam. So we're right. going back in time now. Right. Uh, he doesn't really want to go to Vietnam. He he doesn't really want to be who he's meant to be. He's meant to be a, a doctor and he can go to Vietnam as this medic. And he's and meanwhile, I think at that point he really wants to just be a hippie and a dropout, but he's, but there's something in him that knows that he has to fulfill this destiny. It's, it's an interesting struggle and Tenzin supports him and in doing what he's meant to do. He's not going to answer the question for him. He's not going to tell him what he what he's meant to do, but he, he stays with him as Charlie decides that actually he does have to show up, partly because of something that happened in a previous life. And and I, I really appreciated that wisdom from Tenzin because because we we don't know we don't necessarily know unless we're really you know have a maybe a flash of insight we don't really know uh, how someone's meant to live out their life and of course it's for that soul to to decide um, but there's a scene there when Charlie I'm, I'm, might be giving something away for for people who are going to rush out by the book but there's a scene where Charlie's in Vietnam and. Uh, everyone around him is being killed and Tenzin has promised to protect him and does protect him, but then awakens then Tenzin awakens his wife awakens to see Tenzin covered in blood. Now that is now that, okay, it's fiction, but do things like that happen? Is it possible for a saint to, to appear in a completely different country to grab a bullet, you know, have you experienced these things or know of people that have? The answer to that is yes. I have not personally experienced it, but I know of, of events that are very similar to that, almost identical. And that's where I got the idea for it. Okay. So it can definitely happen. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, that, that sort of scene where we realize, or, or, you know, Tenzin, and, and he's so humble. And one thing I love about Tenzin, he's a very humble man, but he, he can, when called, 
um, do superhuman feats. And I, this is, we're on the superpower network right now, right? <laughs> so the people listening to this believe that we have superpowers and they're real. You know, as you know, we find ourselves in this difficulty on the planet right now, this sort of spiritual war that we're in, I believe, I personally believe the light will win this one. I know the light will win this one, but there's a lot going on. And what would you say to, to our listeners about protection, about how can you protect yourself? How can you keep your mind your own? How can you keep your soul from sort of you know, infiltration? How do we stay light and whole and um, good uh, and clear as we go through this time? Well, a few simple things. Meditate every day, very important. But, but, but before you meditate, because when you meditate, you're opening yourself up, right? So you got to be very careful. You need to put protection around you. And there's some very simple things you can do for protection. Uh, visualize a three-sided violet pyramid that you're sitting inside of. And then around that three-sided violet pyramid, place another one that's four-sided. Place it over the top of the three-sided pyramid and join it on the base underneath with another four-sided pyramid that's under you so that you're now actually sitting in like a diamond shape. Two four-sided pyramids joined at the base and you're sitting inside of this within a three-sided violet pyramid. It's called ultimate protection. It's one of the best ways to protect yourself. So do that. Spin your chakras daily. You know, make sure you turn them in the same direction. Doesn't matter where you turn them to the left or turn them to the right. Just turn them in the same direction. Get that flowing. <clears throat> let let light go down your legs, through your feet. Open the chakras in your feet and let the light go into the ground, so that you are grounded. And you have a base underneath you. Very important. And that will help you. That Those things will help you. And then, of course, say the Lord's Prayer. You know, I'm going to tell you a quick little story about the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> there was a period of time when I was under tremendous psychic attack for a long period, for many years, actually. And uh, one of the ways this was initiated uh, against me was I was uh, sleeping in my son's bed when I lived in Virginia. He was away. And I woke up in the middle of the night and there was this very harsh, uncomfortable current of energy coming from my feet, going up through my body. And I opened my eyes. I was sort of, you know, mostly asleep. I opened my eyes and I saw this black being, energetic being standing at the base of the bed with its palms on my soles of my feet, sending this harsh electrical current up my body. And at that moment, I knew that its intent was to knock my soul out of my body and take control of my body. And so I just started saying the Lord's Prayer. I just said the first line. And all of a sudden, the entity disappeared. It was gone. It never came back. So that, that uh, Lord's Prayer is a very powerful thing, and it should be used. You, have it. you have it here. You have it here at yeah. the back of your book. It ends with the Lord's Prayer. 
Yeah, it ends. Do you want to, would you like to read it? Do you have it in front of you? Uh, yes, I do. So let me just pick that up. There are many, <laughs> many powerful quotes, but this one, this one has some juice. Well, this one isn't even mine. <laughs> <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I got rid of that entity just by saying, Our Father who art in heaven. That was it. It was gone. So basically protection comes from with our spiritual attunement. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the stronger you are, the more difficult it is for these uh, entities to attack you. You know, I've been attacked by so many entities over the years that um, it doesn't scare me. I mean, that, that's a trick. The other thing is don't be scared just because you're being attacked. Don't be scared. Stand up, put yourself in light, and send light at these entities, send pink light at them. You know, that's, that's the color of unconditional love. That sort of knocks them right out of the ball game. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Just yeah. <laughs> the entities trying to take you over and just imagine rose petals. Oh, it seems so, it seems so, um, it, you know, it, it's a theme that goes through this book too, is that, you know, Tenzin has to go through these, horrible experiences at the at the hands in, in this story of the Chinese and um and yet his soul is is never broken and he he also understands I think it's also a beautiful part of the book that you know later he's with Chinese people and it's not he knows it's not the people it's not the people it's not any race of people that's the problem it's not the agenda it's not, it's none of that it's the people who have become robots who have disconnected from their souls and are able, they're either in a, as a soldier, able to be um, manipulated, you know, and, and there are other dark forces, but no matter what, he hangs on to the love and the light and his dignity, his love of humanity and um, gentleness, you know, this loving light, the pink light that you're, you're speaking and the, and the love for his wife. I also, I was really touched by in the, in the book. And so what a powerful message. Thank you. You know, and uh, just to go back to, uh, Tenzin almost does break. There's that mm-hmm. time when he gets the, the message of the letter from Tibet, letting him know what's happened to all the people there that he loves dearly and was connected to. And he goes, he, he becomes catatonic for a while. He just can't deal. And what brings him out, what gets him out of there is is the woman he's going to marry, mm-hmm. Alice. Mm-hmm. You know, she she helps heal him. So it's the feminine reaching out with its love and compassion. That's so compelling. And I, I also want to say this because it's a really, really important point. A society is only as healthy as the female energy that lives in that society because the female energy is the basis of life. It's a foundation of everything. And if that's not healthy, we're in a little big, big trouble. 
So you see a person like Alice who demonstrates really, really healthy female energy. She saves him. She saves him with love and compassion. And that's the great strength of the feminine, that love and compassion. And currently so many young women, you know, sort of poo-poo that and deny that part of themselves. And I wish they wouldn't because it is so necessary for this society to be healthy, to have that. So. I really agree with you. Alice is a lovely, a lovely part of the story. And we, I, I would like, I'm going to say a few things and then I'd love for you just to leave us with a, a final message here. But you know, one of the things that has happened for me in the, in the course of my spiritual evolution is understanding that fact. And when, when I was growing up, um, you know, I was obviously surrounded by a lot of feminist ideology and impacted by that. And I love Celtic women who are very strong, but there was something that happened in my Celtic studies uh, when I was, I was starting to understand the goddess of sovereignty, what that really means. And it's not about domination. It's actually about a full connection to the earth, a full understanding of yourself and your wholeness. And from that place, inviting a man, because in the Celtic tradition, a man can't be a king unless the goddess of sovereignty says it's so, right? So when a woman really understands her wholeness and her ability to bring life and love into this world, she can invite a man to be with her and together they can rule. There's, there's a power in that. And um, I, I'm, I'm glad the, um, the universe showed me that, that little path there. Yeah, I am too, because that, you know, that's, that's a core, that is core stuff. I mean, we're, we're all destitute men and women, when that kind of female energy is not present. Um, I look back at my life, my mother, my grandmother had that in such abundance, such abundance. And my father also had the gift of unconditional love, as did my grandfather. I was very fortunate. I was raised in a very, very warm, loving and accepting environment. And I thought everybody had that. And as I got older, I realized, oh, my God, no one I know has this. So I was, I was supremely fortunate to, uh, to be with the people that I was with. Yeah. yeah. It's true. It is true. And, well, as we go through our awakening, may many, many kings and queens find each other. May many many um, souls find each other and experience love because I, if, if a man and it actually does, I don't necessarily think it has to be a man and a woman, but if two people can come together in deep love, it just seems that there's a, a, a citadel that happens around the two that just for their fam, for the children, for the family, for the, their uh, economic situation, it just seems that they really can hold uh, a, a power that it, we can't do alone. You know? well, yeah, that's, that's very true. And the other thing you have to be careful of is protecting it because there are people that are jealous of it mm -hmm. and will take it away from you because they don't want you to have anything that they do not. 
So yeah, mm-hmm. there, there are all sorts of things. This world is a very tricky place. It's not easy to negotiate for anyone, particularly mm-hmm. now. And let's hope that in the future, we solve the two main issues that you and I talked about briefly before we started this podcast. And that is the climate issue and the population issue, because as we go forward, these are going to become central to everybody. The main concerns of the planet will be climate and population. If climate gets real wacky and bad floods, famines, uh, you know, how are we going to raise enough food to feed 8 billion people? In 84 years, the population of this world has uh, increased over 300%. What will happen in the next 80 years? Can't have that happen. Can't have 20 billion people on the planet. Won't hold it. So, you know, there are going to be some big things coming up in the future that need to be dealt with. And the most important thing you can do as a human being is be as conscious as you can, as loving as you can, and be be quiet and see where you're called to contribute and to help. Because it, this world needs help in so many, many places. It's time to forget about you know success and profit and money all the time. It's much more important to support life. And we have to find a balance. We have to support life the environment, the animals, the kids. And that's why I just started the new podcast, (laughs) Messages of Infinite Light, when this is where we really focus on solutions for an evolving humanity, because there are solutions, but we can't keep doing things the way that we've been doing them. And, uh, And so maybe you can come on that podcast later on and, and help us uh, and give us some ideas. I'd be delighted to just let me know where yeah. and when I would be right here, but just let me know when. Absolutely. I will I'll look on the schedule and hopefully we'll continue the conversation. Well, thank you so much for coming on wisdom of the ages. I'm honored to have you as a guest and I'm looking forward to the next book. Ian, thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. And as always, it's lovely to be with you, even if it's only been 26 years. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a little bit of time, but that's okay. It's eternal. (laughs) All right. Well, and many blessings to all the listeners as well. I hope you've received a a transmission and you're excited now and you're ready to go out and and, uh, discover more about yourself too. So blessings to all. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.